a president that is empowered to do what he's elected to do. So maybe that means a little reduction in the size of government. Maybe that means an agency that's been done away with. Something gearing towards more authority for the president within his own branch. Welcome back to The Kevin Roberts Show. Really, every episode this year, well, all, all of them will be focused on taking back this country. And sometimes we're going to have elected officials. Sometimes, as you've already discovered, if you've tuned into some episodes this year, we'll have kind of intellectual types talk about the good life. This is an episode that is going to be a real treat for you because it's going to be an insight into the last presidential administration and perhaps an insight into the next presidential administration. And most of all, we're going to have fun talking about it because my guest, John McEntee, thank you, John, for being here. Thanks for having me. Former assistant to President Trump. You also have this great business, a conservative dating app called The Right Stuff. Get into that a little bit. But most of all, in a very cheerful way, which will be a surprise to the left, we're going to talk about reclaiming this country. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Love it. What are you up to now? So I work at Heritage on Project 2025, which is going to help us hit the ground running in January of 2025. Um, with the right stuff, it's a startup dating app for conservatives. So I split my time between thinking of the next transition, which will be happening very soon for the next Republican president, and also helping conservatives find love. Um, I this is in, necessary for the future of the conservative movement, It is right? necessary. I think, you know, the country is so divided and, you know, no one knows what to do, where to go. People might be a little scared. The number one thing conservatives can do is stick together. And especially when it comes to dating or creating a family. So that's where my focus is about half the time and the other half is spent on thinking about the next Republican administration, how to staff it, what we learned from the last one, and how to have a successful four years to turn the country around. So in the last administration, you found yourself in the key role for White House personnel. And we'll talk about that very much along the lines of, of your last point. But I'm curious what your journey was professionally, personally, in getting there, because that's not necessarily a job that the vast majority of Americans wake up one day and say, I want to do that one day. It's very important. And we at Heritage and presumably, therefore, the audience of the show can appreciate it. We're grateful for your service. How'd you end up doing that? Yeah, so I started in the White House in the first year of the administration as the president's aide. How I started there, I can, you want the long story? Sure. Okay, so I worked at Fox News. I had an entry-level position. And then in June of 2015, we're all in our cubicles. Donald Trump comes on the TV, gives the very famous escalator speech. Everyone in the office is laughing. They're saying he has no chance. This is a joke. The speech had the complete opposite effect on me. I thought he had a great chance. I thought he could win. I thought he could be president. And I knew I wanted to be a part of it. So I started looking online, how do I get involved with the Trump campaign? And I couldn't find anything. So I was emailing random things. I was emailing his golf course. I was emailing Ivanka's clothing company. I was like, I need to work for the Trump campaign. I had no idea where to go. So if you're feeling like that, which segues into what we're working on, if you don't know where to go, now we have Project 2025. If you want to work in politics, if you want to help the country and you're just in... Nebraska or California, wherever, you say, I don't know anyone in Congress. I don't know anyone in DC. How do I help? We now have a place for you. It's Project 2025. So that's what I love about it. So I, I emailed Ivanka's clothing company and they said, hey, uh, I think you need info at donaldtrump.com. So I emailed that every day from work, got to my cubicle at Fox, emailed every single morning for two weeks. No one responded. And I finally sent an email and I said, 
apparently this campaign doesn't have anyone to check emails. I'll take that job and I'll do it for free. So I quit my job at Fox, showed up as a volunteer, had a lot of different jobs on the campaign, scheduler, trip director, morphed into a personal aide role where I was under the president's longtime aide, Keith Schiller, learned from him. And then in the White House, morphed into the personal aide role, which is the body man. And I did that for the first year of the administration. The last year of the administration, they brought me back in the same role. And it was a few weeks in where I was walking with the president on the colonnade in the White House. He said, what, what's on the schedule today? I was reading through 9, 9 a.m. this, 10 a.m. that. I said, you have your PPO meeting. He said, PPO? I said, yeah, the personnel office is coming by. He said, oh, I've always had so many problems with that office. I've, you know, and then he just looked at me and said, do you think you could run that office? And for some reason, I said, yes, I could run that office. So uh, in February of 2020, I took over the personnel office. We had about 30 people there, and it was in charge of the 4,000 political appointments the president has. And that's how I got started. <laughs> we'll talk about... <laughs> maybe your best day in, in, in that role. It was an election year, 2020, we all remember. What were the, 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 in hindsight especially, the lessons learned, whether for you, but really where I'm going is anticipating, let's hope, a conservative administration, and not just for the sake of Project 2025, most of all for the sake of the country. What are lessons that you would share with us today that our audience can can not only appreciate, but maybe might be inspired by in order to be part of the next administration. Yeah, I think, okay, so the lessons learned from the first time around were a few things. The major one being that you need people in your administration that agree with your agenda. Imagine that. Shocker. Donald Trump ran the most amazing campaign in 2016 anyone had ever seen, but he had a very small team, no background in politics, no infrastructure in DC. So when he won, he assumed, okay, I'll rely on all the other Republicans to help me now, to staff, to do this, that. And I think we relied way too much on the DC network when we could have pulled from anywhere in the country. Why not? Um, of course, some DC people are going to get in. There's a lot of smart people here, but I think we relied too heavily on DC. There was something called greatagain.gov, which was somewhere people could submit their resumes if they wanted to work in DC, if they just were Joe Blow from Texas, but you know they had... Um, the inclination to do so. So greatagain.gov was put up during that transition period. And for some reason, no one ever knows what happened to all of those resumes. So one of the rights, one of the wrongs we are trying to write is recreating that in a way better way with the database we have now at Project 2025, but giving people a chance at working in DC because it is the most fulfilling work you can do. A lot of stuff I do now is so fun. We're on social media, we have the dating app, we have this, that, but nothing beats working in government, seeing things you're doing actually affecting Americans' lives in a positive way. And especially if you're a conservative and you see you know, a country that um, is not going in the direction you want, well, this is your chance, you know, and we have 4,000 appointments, it can be you, you know? What's life like inside the White House? So... Uh, I get this question a lot, and if you ask a rock star or an NFL player or, you know, what's it really like? They always say, oh, it's nothing like the movies. The White House is exactly like the movies, okay? It's very fast-paced. Um, there's a lot going on. You're watching history unfold right before your eyes, and, you know, you're on a helicopter, you're on Air Force One. It's just very exciting, and there's a lot of junior roles there 
if you're going to be a scheduler in DC, you might as well be a scheduler at the White House. It's competitive, but I encourage everyone to just take whatever they can get and work their way up. That's how I did it. When we were interviewing people for positions in the personnel office, oftentimes they'd come in and we'd say, okay, well, well what area do you want to work in? And they'd be 23 and say, policy. It's like, okay, you know, you should have just said, I'll take anything because we needed anything. We didn't need policy. Okay. And then, or you'll have maybe a more serious person come in and will say, okay, you know, you had this great record in business. What do you want to do? Well, I think I can best serve as an ambassador. Well, okay, ambassador to Italy sounds fun, but we were thinking, you know, taking on the administrative state at an agency more than, you know, being in Rome. Um, so I think it's just getting the right people that are, you know, on board with the agenda that have drive and that the number one thing you can do is not back down to media pressure. When you're on the inside, a lot of people have forgotten this and I see it because I see them on Fox News, a lot of my colleagues or people I know, and they're talking very big right now. But once you get in, you know, when the game is on the line and the lights are on and everyone is against you and the media is harping on it every day, you know, can you stand strong? And there's very few people that can. We need to find those people, empower them, and we will have a super successful Republican administration. What is it inside the operations of Project 2025, to the extent you can you can talk about that, that gives you confidence that you'll have a higher percentage of presidential appointees in the next administration who are aligned, but also have the medal. They've got the, the personal constitution to withstand the media pressure and to stay focused on the objective, which is to serve the American people by beginning to dismantle the administrative state. I think now we luckily can pull from the people we know that did it the first time. You know, people in more junior roles the first time can be more senior roles. You know, we know we interviewed every single political appointee, all 4,000. We know who they are, what their strengths are. It's also about moving people around. Maybe you're not good at this particular role, but you might be better in a good one. And then with Project 2025, the number one thing is I trust the people running it. They know what we're looking for. They know how to vet the people. And we also have a part of it where people can be endorsed. So we know who's vouching for who. Um, I think what we're doing with the personnel database, with the training, the vetting, and the endorsing, I mean, I think it gives us a huge leg up. I think if we tap into it the way I know we can, this project will help the transition and the administration be super successful. Given your experience, John, and, and also your role at Project 2025, which is you know, one of the field generals, it, if you take a step back from some of the details of agency needs, is there a particular agency or even more broadly, a particular policy area where you say for the sake of the American future, that's where we need better policy and therefore we need better people inside the administration? Well, I think the most important agencies are the main ones, the State Department, things like that. I think... So what might people might assume would be the most important scene. Right, right. You know, um, what people might assume would probably be the most important, but I think what people are missing right now is they think, oh, we need to give Congress more power over this bureaucracy. But I actually disagree. I think we need to give the executive more power. It's not that he has too much power, it's that he doesn't control the bureaucracy. You know, Congress created this deep state in a way by all of these new agencies, all of these new things every year. Um, you have something like, you know, the IGs, which are these spies in every agency that are, if you're a Republican president, they're trying to take you down. You know, and people say, oh, we need to make them independent. Well, no, actually, we need to make them a little more subordinate. Like they need to be focused on waste, fraud and abuse in the agency. 
You know, they need to answer to the cabinet secretary, not to Congress. Um, so I think what people get wrong is that they don't realize just how big the bureaucracy is. Not, I don't know if this is part of the question, but yeah, sure. um, <laughs> they don't realize just how big the bureaucracy is. And when they're voting for president, they think, well, I voted for him, so he's in charge. Well, he is in charge. And someone like Donald Trump, who's strong-willed, will move the machine a little bit. But you need everyone rowing in the same direction to actually take on the bureaucracy. These bureaucrats have been there forever. You look at something like OMB, like only they understand the regulations. Only they understand how it all works. Um, so we just we, we just need to give more power back to the executive. It's funny you said that because I, I did a recent interview myself with a member of the press who's undoubtedly left of center. And she and I went round and round over this issue of ex the president's authority over the executive branch. And secondly, what she saw as quasi-independent or fully independent. She, she argued that the Department of Justice ought to be fully independent. Mm -hmm of the president. And I said, being an early American historian, I'm not a constitutional lawyer, but I've read the constitution. I know what the founders intended. Yeah. They would be horrified that someone, an American would make the claim that the duly elected president of the United States somehow, this is to your point, would not have control over the executive branch. Of course, right. they'd be horrified by the very size of the executive branch too. Yeah. How do we how do we remind Americans of that? And, and and that question is really not just in a political campaign, but what is it that needs to happen to get Americans to understand that reality? If in fact they want their freedoms back from from the administrative state, I think uh, the simpler the better. I think you just look at people and tell them because they'll say, "Well, checks and balances." Well, that's three different branches of government. That's not the president is not checked within his own branch by his own staff. And I think if you, you know, tell them, well, does a CEO have a right to fire an employee? These people work for the executive branch, yet the president can't fire 99% of the people that work there. Think about that. He cannot, he cannot remove 99% of them. So I think explain it in simple terms like that. Should the president be able to fire someone that works for him? Yes or no? I think most people would say, well, yes, you know. Um, and it's not that there needs to be these mass firings. More importantly, there needs to be people top-down approach that agree with the agenda that can control the agency. Obviously, there has to be reduction, but um, it's just about the bureaucrats being held accountable, and they, they need to go along with the president's agenda. He was elected by the people, and oftentimes, no matter who the president is, the same policies get done. So I'm asking you two questions that are kind of devil's advocate questions. You and I see the world the same way, so you know where I'm coming from on this, but I get this question a lot, not just from members of the press, but sometimes from just Americans out there who, who want America to win. But the first is on this point you just made, even though at Project 2025, we're not saying there needs to be mass firings, there need to be some, and, and the president will make that decision to, to your point. But they will make the claim, as this aforementioned reporter did to me uh, two weeks ago, well, what about all the expertise of the bureaucrats? And whether they're leaving because of attrition, early retirement, or they're being fired, aren't we losing the expertise that just makes America run? Yeah. I'm glad uh, you're laughing at that. Yeah. So, okay. What people refer to as the deep state, we, you can also call it the DMV state. So <laughs> That says it all. You know, it, it's not that they're these experts in foreign policy and it's, it's just bureaucracy, you know, it's just bureaucracy on steroids. Um, and I think if expertise has brought us where we are with all of the troubles in the world, both at home and abroad, then we need less experts and more people that are just willing to do what's best for the country. Maybe 
competency is more important than expertise and just um, people that can adapt, you know, for some fresh blood in there might actually be better than someone that's been there for 30 years, but um, has gotten us into a lot of these problems. An additional critique that people make that I often myself have to respond to is, oh, given how the last administration ended, given President Trump's personality, no one is going to want to work for him. How do you respond to that? I disagree. Um, I think a lot of people want to work for him. I think he was a great boss and anyone that's had an experience of actually working for him has had a good experience. We know the high level things. Obviously, there's been a lot of people, but the problem wasn't that they were removed or that they had a falling out. It's that they wouldn't, shouldn't have been there to begin with. You know, they weren't really aligned. So, of course, they had a falling out because they shouldn't have been there to begin with. So getting that right from the beginning, you know, I think I think we're going to be much better off. Um, I don't think we'll have the same problem. I think at the end of the day, it's the White House. And if people and every other agency in the executive branch, and if people actually care about the country, they're going to come work. And there's plenty of qualified people in the country that don't go on Fox News as a pundit or don't live in D.C. that are capable, willing, and want to serve the president. I don't think it'll be a problem. How long do you think it will take? Like, how many years do you think it will take to really get a hold on the administrative state? Okay. Um, how long? Depends how hard you want to go. Uh, I think you could do it within a year. You know, I think you get everything on track. Yeah. Um, and then maybe cultivate, and I'm just thinking about this at like the leadership management level, the, the top-down approach, cultivate that spirit of innovation, of efficiency, of accountability, most of all, yeah. common sense that then starts to kind of- We also, conservatives run into this one problem as well, which is a lot of these agencies aren't going to promote right-wing goals. So it's not that we even want them to run more efficiently. They'll say, oh, I'll get in there, I'll run it more efficiently. <clears throat> You're just going to do left-wing things more efficiently. You're actually advancing Democrat goals, you know? So some of the stuff needs to be looked at and, like, done away with. Um, and then the good things, of course, we want to run more efficiently. The Pentagon, we want that to run more efficiently. Definitely. I think that would be great. Um, yeah, so I think that's one thing people get wrong of is just we need it to run more efficiently. Well, some of it we do, and some of it we just need to do away with because it's not advancing our agenda. So let's take a step out of the White House and outside even the executive branch, and, and this will also be leaning on, on your experience in the White House and since. What needs to change with Congress, perhaps even with the judicial branch, maybe even with, with states? We were just having a conversation about one state off camera in order to accentuate the reform that will happen as a result of, of dismantling the administrative state. Yeah, I think if Congress doesn't get in the way of a president that is super active, it will solve itself. I think one of the major problems that everyone could understand is the president has 4,000 appointments, a thousand of which have to be Senate confirmed. That number is way too big. If they can come together and say, in order for this president to be in power, to get the things done that he was elected to do, how do we do that? You know, give him his people, give him his team. And I think a president with his team, can get a lot of this done. I don't think it, we need to rely on Congress a lot. So kind of what I call a homework question for members of the audience. I imagine that if someone's tuning into this, this episode, it's because they're, they're really interested in what's going on potentially with the next administration. Hopefully, they're also interested in joining the next administration. What encouragement would you give someone who says, okay, John, I'm all in. I want to be part of this. 
And I now know from you when I'm in the interview to say, I'll do anything. <laughs> I don't want to be ambassador to Italy as, <laughs> as nice as Rome may be. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to be part. I mean, this is what I hear like hundreds of times in the last year. People say, Kevin, I just want to be part of taking back this country and giving back to this country what, what it has given me. But they say, I don't know about living in Washington. I don't mm -hmm. know about the culture. I don't know what I do about that. Any advice you have for them? Yeah, I would treat it like a tour of duty. You know, some peoples are in Afghanistan. <laughs> DC is not as bad as that. <laughs> not you yet. Know? Not yet. Um, yeah, it's 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 uh, a little difficult living in such a hostile environment. I lived here for a few years. But you find your people, you go out with your colleagues, and when you're mission-focused, you don't really think about it. You know, I didn't, I didn't have DC nightlife in the back of my mind or, like, what people thought of me at the grocery store because I was so honed in on like 20 hours a day at the White House with these two different jobs I had. And like, if you have that mindset, which somebody coming to you saying that would have, they have nothing to worry about, you know? So I don't think it's a big deal. I think, uh, yeah, just treat it like a tour of duty. Come in, do your year or two, do the best you can, go home. That's probably better too. It's, it, it's, if you want to stay in DC and make a living out of, you know, it, it's probably better if you just come and go. Yeah, the right incentive is the former one, yeah. which is to say, I'm going to have a tour of duty and then I'm going to go back home. Yeah, and when you're here, just make it count. You know, a lot of people, you get to the White House or wherever and you just, oh man, I want to go to the White House Christmas party and I got to get my friend's West Wing tours. And, you know, I get that totally and do that here and there, but keep your eye on the ball. You know, we're here for a reason. Don't let the media get to you. See things through and then go home. And there's a lot of camaraderie among White House staff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the pluses of the job. It's right? very fun, especially you travel together a lot, you know, whether that's domestically, if you're in Bedminster or Mar-a-Lago, or if you're traveling with the president in Asia or the Middle East, you know, and you, you kind of band together. It's a group of people that like work 20 hours a day together every day. Um, yeah. And yeah, I'm still friends um, with most of the people I worked with there. So let's say that the conservatives win this this upcoming election. President Trump has a second term. And it's January 20th, 2029, right before his successor, hopefully another conservative, takes office. Mm -hmm. What would you say, the top two, three, four, ten, whatever you, you want the list to be, will be the most important achievements that happened in those four years? Well, I think number one is immigration. I think it's the biggest issue now, but if you've been paying attention, it's been the biggest issue for 40 years. And I think Donald Trump is a very strong figure in that battle. He ran on 2016, build the wall. Well, we could use the full wall now, you know? Um, so I think that would be number one. I think two would be what we're talking about. A government that does run more efficiently, but... Um, a president that is empowered to do what he's elected to do. So maybe that means a little reduction in the size of government. Maybe that means an agency that's been done away with. Something gearing towards more authority for the president within his own branch. And then in terms of other policies, I think, you know, the crime thing is out of control. I think a conservative president, the best he can federally, should be able to tackle that issue. Um, and of course with all the instability overseas, somebody like Donald Trump can see an end to that. I think, you know, with Ukraine and Israel and everything else, we need a strong leader, but we need someone that actually understands you have to talk to these people. You know, it, it's okay to talk to China or Russia or whoever to make the world safer um, and not provoke them. So I actually think 
that would be probably the top three or four things. Well, yeah. for what it's worth, a great list. I agree entirely. The the next question is sort of the the opposite of that. It is the opposite of that. What happens if Joe Biden or whoever the Democrats run in his place win? Yeah, I think it'll be more of what we've seen the last three years. Um, I try not to be as pessimistic as other conservatives that it's the end of the world if he wins. Of course, I don't want him to. I don't think he will, but he might. Um, that would be unfortunate. It would be more mass immigration. It would be more crime, more homelessness, more inflation. Have I scared you yet? No. Um, but as an optimist, I won't say it's the end of the world, but it just makes it that much harder for us to fix. So the best time to plant a tree was, you know, 40 years ago. The best time is now. Second best time is now. The best time to defeat this, the left, as we know it, the progressive left, whatever you want to call it, the radical left, is now. It's 2024. Um, because looking ahead, it's just going to get that much harder all the new people in, most will vote Democrat or their kids will for future generations. Um, and just the disarray, it's just that much harder to fix. The more the world goes up in flames, the more it's going to be hard to put out. Uh, so I think 2024 is the year we really need to win. If for some reason we didn't, we really got to rally the troops and figure out how to how to go forward. But hopefully that's not the case. So two final questions. One, another advice question for the audience, and then one final question uh, about about your own thoughts. The question, sort of another homework assignment for for the audience. Say they're interested in Project Twenty Twenty Five. Um, they're going to say apply for that, and they're and they're all in. What do they need to be doing between now and then to prepare? Not in a presumptuous way, either about the outcome of the election or they're getting a job. But what should they be doing, particularly if if they're not living in D.C particularly if they've not worked in policy, they've not worked in administration. I mean, I, I've encouraged more people who haven't done those things mm -hmm. than people who have done those things. Uh, what, what can they be doing now in addition to their, their family life and their jobs that they have now to prepare? Yeah, I think uh, the number one thing you can do, obviously, is going to project2025.org, doing the training, making sure everything's filled out. Um, I think the best thing you can do right now this far out, being almost a year out, is just doing whatever you do in your present place, but in the back of your mind, thinking about, okay, like, where am I best suited for? And having a few options because, you know, you, you might think, oh, I, I would be so great at the State Department, but really, you know, you have a background in agriculture or something, and, like, it might not sound as cool, but, like, you might be able to do a lot of good there. So thinking about that, and as you prepare, I don't think you need to prepare other than taking the, the training right now this far out, but... You should be reading up on things. You should stay on top of the election, but also how you can help, you know, like read everything you can on the subject you want to be a part of. Know everything you can, know every angle, know how the left views it too, because that's going to be a big part of it when you go in. If you think you're going to go to the State Department and just stop the visas or whatever, uh, just wait till the MSNBC segment comes on that night. Um, know their arguments, you know, know, know their perspective. Learn as much as you can and just get ready. And every job is important, right? Every single job is important, yeah. It doesn't matter if it's in state or agriculture it or something else. It does not matter. No. Se some seemingly unimportant agency. The, the whole premise of this project is every agency is important. Every single agency is important. It's tremendous power that we need to you know, use to help advance our agenda. And I think people get a misconception about, well, I could never work at, you know, the White House or here. That. It's like, no, you, you could. You know, there's a lot of junior roles too. 
It's not just the Secretary of Defense. Um, and if you're a young person, you know, and you actually care about this, I encourage you to come to D.C. and do it. What the heck, right? Yeah, do it. Last question in the bit of time that I've gotten to know you, I know you to be an unfailing optimist, which is a great attribute. Appreciate it. And and we honor that at Heritage. You know, we, we like to say we read reality truthfully. If it's bad, we want to fix it because we have great trust in the American people and great hopefulness, therefore, in the American future. I, I can just absolutely be certain that you woke up this morning optimistic about the future. But tell us why. Why I'm optimistic about the future. Okay, I'm optimistic about the future because... As bad as it gets, more people want our solutions. So that's why I'm optimistic about the conservative movement. People think, no, the country's going so left. No, I disagree. People want these right-wing policies. Maybe they want them messaged differently. Maybe they want, you know, I use this example. If I went to left-wing people and said, okay, I could end homelessness today. Do you think they'd care how that got done? You know, they actually wouldn't. Most of them. Of course, there's a radical push. So our policies and what we want, um, people want, you know, and younger generations actually are getting more conservative. You know, young men in America in Gen Z are more conservative than my generation, millennial. That's something to be optimistic about. And I think working in the White House gave me an optimism that things can be done. You know, people think, oh, there's, why would I even vote? You know, no, no, like change can be done. If you have the willpower to do it, few people do, but if you do, change can be done. So um, that made me optimistic about, you know, working in government and where this country is going. Obviously, it's not on the right track, but I think at any moment, things can change. If you look at history, things change so quickly, you know? George Washington's leading the British, then he's leading the revolution. Things can ch change very, very quickly. And I'm optimistic that we'll see a change here in America very soon. John McEntee, thanks for being a great American. Thanks for joining <laughs> me. It. And thanks for everything that you have done and will be doing for us. Thank you. I told you you'd enjoy that conversation. Obviously, heavy topic, how it is that we come to grips with the American administrative state. But hopefully, you're not only more optimistic about our ability to change that but that you yourself want to be part of it. That was the real motivation between having this conversation. All of that to say, there are a lot of challenges ahead. It's a long time between now and the election, between now and the next inauguration. Keep your chin up. We're winning, and we will take back this country. The Kevin Roberts Show is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. The executive producer is Crystal Kate Bonham. The producer is Philip Reynolds. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and Tim Kennedy. For more information and to subscribe, please visit heritage.org.